0: Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time, dear Lord, again. God, we thank you for the time to be able to give back a portion of what you have given to us. And God, as we do this, dear Lord, we ask that you would bless the hands that give. Dear Lord, bless the ones that couldn't. And God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would multiply this. And God, that it would be used for the uplifting of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen It is good to be here with each one of you I uh, I don't know are y'all doing okay today kind of seems a little like we're not okay I, you know it's it's kind of quiet uh, you know it is Is it the fact that, uh, you know, last weekend, you know, we started Saturday and we had our concert and our dinner and we thank God for 87 years of ministry and we thank God that we had paid everything off and then we had this wonderful revival where, uh, you know, uh, Reverend Harry Widener came in and, uh, you know, preached wonderful messages for us, right? He stirred our hearts and uh, you know, if nothing else, he should have challenged you. Uh, you know, the words that he gave were challenging words as in changing our lives. And once our lives are changed, then the things that we do and the way that we act and what we say changes, right? And I tell you what, uh, you know, as, as your pastor and, and uh, you know, I've only been here for six years, okay, so I am growing up and I am getting, hopefully I'm getting better, Uh, you know, but I tell you what, you know, I put a lot of stock into this morning service. I was anticipating a lot. A lot of the people that was here that had been in the church throughout this week that came to Revival Uh, You know, there was a lot of them that said they loved it and that they were coming back, and uh, you know, we had people come to the altar and rededicated their lives. And I was like, man, oh my God, we're we're coming in. We've had a great revival, and we're on this momentum, and we're just simply going to knock the you know, knock it out of the park, right? It is baseball season, right? This is October, so we got the uh, you know, the playoffs and baseball going on. So we we were just going to knock it out of the park, and we were going to be jammed packed this morning. Well, we're not. We have a lot of people that's got hangovers and they're just ready to go back to bed or they're still in bed. Oh, you know, we, We've got nothing going on this morning. Man. And y'all want me to stand up here and give a powerful message that excites us and, and brings us back to God, right? Hmm. Can I say that sometimes I need a little bit of help? Uh, you know, it's... I, I'm going to try my best to stay calm this morning. Some, some of y'all know that, you know, they, they've changed my blood pressure medicine, and whatever they've changed it to, it's not working. Uh, you know, um... I checked it this morning. I was one forty three over one hundred and one. So, hey, yeah, you know, there we go. <laughs> you know, so so Marcus is over there saying, "Please stay calm." <sighs> but whenever we come in and we see this, and we've experienced, uh, you know, the move of God, and uh, you know, we all haven't experienced the eighty seven years of ministry, but. We're reaping the benefits of the 87 years of ministry and faithfulness to God and all the people that's been here before us. And some of you are are in that group as well. I I know there's some are sitting here today that was going to this church before this sanctuary was built. And because of that faithfulness and seeing what God truly had for us, you moved forward and you built a, a sanctuary to seat 400 people. And we would love to see 400 people here, wouldn't we? I would love to see 400 people here. But can I tell you that it, what it's going to take and some of the things that it's going to take is that we look at the passages and we look at the messages that's been preached out of Haggai and we look at those messages and we say, you know what, uh, you know, the first issue that the people had in Haggai was is that they were worried about their business and their homes and not building God's house. Therefore, God said that because you're doing this, I truly haven't blessed you. You remember that? He goes in and he says, whenever you go to your storage and to your shelters and stuff, you, you go to receive 50 uh, you know, grains or, or 50 pounds of grain, and, and you only get 25. You go and you go to get your wine and stuff that's been pressed out, and you go to get that, and... And you have half of what that is. And it's because you're not doing what I have asked you to do. And you're, you're not building my house. You haven't put the priority where the priority needs to be. You're, you're worried about yourself. And you're worried about your home. And you're not worried about me. And then from there, they got excited. Remember? Zerubbabel and uh, you know, Joshua... Uh, you know, got them excited and got them stirred up and they started working on God's house. In the second chapter, we find that after two weeks, now I want you to really think about this, because of all the festivals that happens in the month of September, they only worked two weeks on God's house and then they stopped working they said, you know what, this house will never be to the glory that it was before, so why in the world should I continue to work on it? Right, We had Brother Harry Widener here, and he was one of the favorite pastors, my understanding is, and he did a lot of work. But it's not going to be the way that it was whenever he was here. He's not here. He's 90 years old. You got me. Okay. But the thing about it is is that God says if I'm involved in it, it's going to be greater than it was before. Not because of anything that you did, but because of what I'm going to do. All you have to do is work on it and be obedient. Remember and then we got into the latter part of that and we went down into uh, you know verses not you know uh, I think it was 12 to 19. And in 12 to 19 is whenever he talks about the holiness. And he says, You know what? He says, You're incorrupt. You're, you're corrupt people. You're bad people. But you know what? I'm the holy God. And I'm going to make holy what I want to make holy. And he says, This house that you built with your hands, I'm going to make it holy. And in verse 19, they dedicated the foundation of the new sanctuary. Last week, we burnt the mortgage debt-free. We prayed a prayer of blessing on this new sanctuary as God has completed paying for it with all of our helps, all of y'all's help. But we've also prayed a prayer of blessing upon the ministry that he's going to continue in this place, and we get this understanding from this that Harry Weidner. I really like the way that he did this. Okay, he said that God wants us to be a holy people, as in H or W H O L L Y, because we're supposed to give our all to Christ and whenever we give our all to Christ we are giving our all to building the kingdom of God now whenever we talk about building the kingdom of God we have to understand it's not just the bricks and it's not just the walls and the carpet and the pews and this nice podium that we have here but it's each individual person right that we have to wholeheartedly worship and praise God. And whenever we do that, we then build His kingdom. I I remember preaching a message about us being the the rocks. You know, right? We're, We're the rocks that God is chiseling on and working on And we are going to fit exactly into the place that he has for us in the heavenly sanctuary. Do you not get this? It's not going to be Rock Hill First Church in Nazarene. It's not going to be Nazarenes. It's not going to be Calvary Baptists. It's not going to be the Baptists. It's not going to be the Methodists. It's not going to be the United Methodists, the free will, whatever. It's not going to be them. It's going to be the people that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And as we live that life, He's going to chisel us and He's going to make us into the exact mold that He needs for us to be placed into this wall that we're going to build the temple of God. The thing about it is, it's not like we build houses and stuff today. We have a little bit of mortar that fills in the gaps of this rock that's imperfect so that it fills up and makes the whole wall. The sanctuary that God's building is not going to have any mortar in it because each rock is going to fit in the exact place that he has for it. Because he is the master builder. Oh man, but see we we have to be about building his kingdom. We come into this last part of Haggai And we look at Haggai chapter 2, and we're just going to look at these three verses, verses 20 through 23. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Is Andrew not here? Okay. As you're turning there, I want you to see and I want you to understand There's there's three things that we need to answer in this passage of Scripture. Why is God going to shake up everything? Why would Zerubbabel have been tempted to stop the rebuilding of the temple and lay low? What gives him courage and energy to press on? So what gives us the courage and the energy to be able to press on? Why would we be tempted not to grow the kingdom of God? Why do you think? God's going to shake everything up. Why do you think that He's going to shake the foundations? See, we, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been called to build God's kingdom. We've been called to build His church. But there's many reasons for us There's many reasons why we don't do what God has for us to do. Now, I believe one of the biggest reasons that we don't do what God has for us to do is because we're afraid. What are we afraid of? I'm glad that there's right, because normally in the church setting and stuff, you would say, oh no, pastor, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, okay. That's like that song, uh, you know, that the guy sings that, uh, you know, if we loved, uh, you know, on Mondays the way that we love on Sundays, the church would be full. If we were not afraid to speak the gospel and to help grow God's kingdom, the church would be full on Sunday mornings. And there would be so much activity that the church would be busy every single day. So what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Well, let's look at the scripture. Because here we have Zerubbabel is standing there, and there's some things about Zerubbabel that we're going to get into. Uh, You know, the first thing is, is I want you to recognize and I want you to see that Zerubbabel is governor of Jerusalem or of Israel. He's not the king because they're still underneath foreign rule. So you look at us today and we think about it and stuff. Are we? Are we truly a Christ-believing nation? Weren't we founded on biblical principles? The United States, we you know we were founded and we actually started this because we were being oppressed and we weren't able to worship God in the way that we wanted to, so we branched off and we came to the U.S. or you know, we came over here so that we could worship God the way that we wanted to. But we can't anymore, can we? Everything's pushed us aside. So whenever we think and we look at this, it's just like Zerubbabel. He's not in command the way that he is supposed to be. He is in bloodline with King David and he should be king. He shouldn't be a governor. So whenever we see this, we get this understanding that Zerubbabel and all of the rest of the Israelites could have just simply been there and said, you know what? I don't want to shake the boat. I don't want to cause any political issues and have King Darius come down here and and just wipe us out again. So we're just going to sit here and you know we're we're not going to stir the boat, right? We're not well no, we don't stir the boat. We're not going to stir the soup. We're not going to rock the boat either. We're just going to be here and we're going to be Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene and Oh, you know, we're just going gonna to be here. We're going to show up on Sundays. Oh, you know, we, we don't want to create too much of an issue because if we do, heaven forbid, we might actually change some people's lives that lives around this community. And we might have some of our neighbors actually come to church. Oh, wait a minute. John's already here. It's good to have you with us again, John. We might have more of our neighbors come in and join us for service. But see, we're, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of the political realm. We're, we're afraid that our friends, that we're going to upset our friends. How many of you got the understanding that Brother Wagner... Widener, I said it for right the first time. I'm going to go back to calling him, uh, you know, Brother Harry. Brother Harry, how many of you felt like Brother Harry was ashamed of Jesus Christ and didn't want anybody else to know about it? The the first night that he was here, he met a young lady that worked where he was, and she knew that he was a pastor. And he was speaking at a revival here, and she was praying for it. He went to our Tuesday morning coffee shop Bible study. Before he left, he told all of those waitresses, those four ladies standing behind that counter, that Jesus Christ loves you, and so do I. He he didn't care. He didn't care that politically right next door is an LBGTQ plus store that actually has drag queens come in and serve people. He he didn't care. He wasn't worried about it. But we're worried about rocking the boat a little bit. We're we're worried about offending our friends and and we're not going to say that. We're not going to do any of that stuff. Heaven forbid that anybody sitting in here would be like my parents had gotten to and that I really had, I struggled with. And and, and my dad understood it. Because one day I went to their little small church out in the country and he was talking to me about his pastor and how good his pastor was and stuff. And then he said, but you know, we're really not growing any." He said, you know, it's time for the next generation to step up and begin to, to grow this church. I'm like, I'm like, Dad, you're still breathing. It's your time to speak to this next generation. It's, it's your turn to go and to invite people into God's house. Unfortunately, it took him getting cancer before he actually started Really evangelizing for God. Every single nurse and every doctor in that facility that he went to during his cancer knew about Jesus Christ. And why? Because whenever he walked in, he said, I have a friend that I want to tell you about. It's a shame that death had to get him to where he began to talk about Jesus Christ openly. And willingly. I I don't want any of y'all to have a death sentence on you with some type of illness so that you can start, uh, you know, evangelizing for the church and for God's kingdom. I want you to do this, and we need to do this now. So let's answer that first question. Why is God going to shake the heavens and the earth? I can tell you the first reason that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth because He's going to reveal all the evil that's on this earth. All the evil that's covered up. He's going to shake it to where it is evident. This government that we we so-called have, Man, he's going to show, he's going to reveal the evil. All the stuff that's going on over there with Russia and with Turkey and all that with Putin that's going on over there, he's going to reveal the evil. See, whenever he shakes things up, he's really going to shake it up. But we all know that in this passage of scripture, this shaking up is talking about it's talking about the end times. And on that judgment day. But see, God's going to come in and God's going to truly reveal himself because the only way that the only way that this world is going to be set free is whenever Jesus Christ comes and destroys Satan. Right? Is that, that's, that's it, right? So whenever we see this, we get this understanding that the one that is in me, oh, I'm going to quote another passage of Scripture, the one that is in me is greater than the one that's in this world. And the one that's in me that's greater than the one that's in this world is going to come back and destroy him. Hmm. That reminds me of something. Don't know if y'all know this or realize this, but Max Licato is a really you know he's a big Dallas Cowboy fan. And he told this story in his uh, you know in his book uh, you know um, hope. And he told the story about on this one Sunday, he was there and, uh, you know, he was preaching, but he was recording the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, game. And he didn't want anybody to tell him what had happened or anything about the game. He didn't want to know. He just wanted to be able to preach, go home and watch the game, you know, and not knowing anything about it. And he said, I was doing really good. I'd preached the message You know, I had made it past the first five or six pews. I stopped. I, you know, talked with some people for a little bit. And I told them immediately, don't tell me anything about the game. I don't want to know anything about the game. I'm going home. I've got it recorded. I'm going to watch it. And he kept on going. He met with some other people. And he's headed out to his car. And he says he gets to his car. He unlocks his car. He opens up the door. And his friend comes walking by. And he says, isn't it great that Dallas won? He said he was devastated, made it all the way out to his car, almost there. And then he goes, but you know what? I went home and I watched that football game and I didn't have a worry in the world. Whenever Dak Prescott, you know, through that interception, whenever they had those two fumbles and coming into the last quarter, they were down by five or six, you know, by six points or so. He said, I didn't have a worry at all because I knew they had already won. We don't have a worry at all because we serve and we worship the one that's already won. He's already defeated Satan. He's already defeated death. Why are we so afraid that Satan's going to hurt us? He can't. Whoo, golly gee willikers. Wow. But we get excited whenever we're here in the church. And we say amen and all that stuff. But whenever we leave the church, we're, we're out there in this world. We're out there in this place that's looking more and more like Satan every single day. And we're just like John. We get our eyes off of the Savior and we begin to look at the circumstances that's in front of us and underneath us. And we begin to sink, right? Right? That's what happened to John whenever he walked on the water. Jesus wasn't standing on magical bricks. He was standing out there in the water and John was coming to him. I do have the right one, right? It's Peter, isn't it? Let me get a drink of water. It's my blood pressure. It's starting to elevate again on me. I can feel it already. I'm sorry, it was Peter. Y'all knew who I was talking about anyway. But see, that's, that's where we are. We're, we're in God's house and we're around like-minded people and, and, and we speak up. We say amen, you know, we, we talk about Jesus whenever we're here in the church, but whenever we walk out, man, we're all alone. We're, we're being pressed on all sides. But He's calling us to more. And I just thought about this. Unless y'all have actually turned to the passage of Scripture, you really don't, you're not there with me yet, right? I haven't read it yet. Now let me go ahead and read these three verses for you. It says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai in the, the, a second time, in the, 20th, or in the 24th day of the, of the month, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother." On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what culture and political pressures do you face? For those of you that go to work, can you freely You can, some, but there will be looks from others. What about the political realm that we're in? We've kind of talked about this. We don't really have that freedom, do we? We really do. We face political pressures. The church of the Nazarene has to constantly reword the manual and the bylaws so that this world doesn't force and can't force us to do things that is contrary to our beliefs. We have political problems. But do we also have cultural problems? Cultural problems run into us because somewhere down the line, my truth is greater than your truth. If there ever is such, right? Our culture, the culture that we're talking about and that we're looking at here, is the Nazarene culture. And whenever we talk about about sanctification, and we talk about entire sanctification, and we talk about being able to live a righteous and a holy life here on this earth, we begin to talk about things that other people don't see, and other people don't understand, and other people don't believe. So they begin to talk about their truth versus our truth. Who is truth? And whose truth do we stand on? Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is truth. It's not the Nazarene manual. I'm sorry, I'm a Nazarene pastor. Did I say that? Scratch that from the recording, please. No, I'm kidding. But the truth that we follow is the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ is not welcomed in this world. But we're still supposed to speak it. I I use this word sometimes. To, To me, I use it too often. Uh, you know, we need to become relevant. For, it, it better not be me. But see, we, we want to grow the kingdom of God, so whenever we look at this, we say, okay, how do I do this? How, how do I grow the kingdom of God whenever they really don't want to have anything to do with it? How do I help them to see the importance of a life following Jesus Christ? How do I do this? Brother Harry would say that you must live it as well as speak it. He says what's in the bottom of the well is what comes out of the well. Right? So what's truly in us is what comes out of us. I had that conversation with my daughter. I've had that conversation with many of my friends. And I tell you what, on the work site, well, wait a minute, for me on the work site, especially if there's a hammer involved. It's really important on what's in the well. Because whenever you hit your thumb instead of the nail with that hammer, what's in the well's coming out. Right? You know, And I man, I tell you what, man, it was, whoo, man. I, I did this playing softball one time. I was on a league playing softball, and that ball came and hit me in the hand on the bat. And, and I shook my hand and stuff, and that guy looked at me, and he goes, you're not going to say a bad word? I'm like, no, it's not in me. I mean, but it hurts. And then I remembered, then I remembered the show and stuff that said there's no crying in baseball. And I took a deep breath and I walked over to first base and stood there. But see, what's in the well comes up. And if Jesus Christ is in the well, then that's what we're gonna speak. Oh man, that's only question number one. Who do we fear that we will offend? Who do you fear that you will offend? Is it your husband? Is it your friend next door? Is it your coworker? Is it the person that you go to school with? Is it your neighbor? Is it your children? Is it your in-laws? Who are you afraid that you're going to offend with the gospel that's truly down in the soul, in the well, that always keeps coming up? I don't have a conversation. I can't have a conversation with anybody in my family that Jesus Christ does not come up. I'm talking to my mom mom on the phone yesterday. Been calling her for three days. And she's like, you never call me. I don't understand why you never call me. Called her for three days. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I just found my phone. So we talked about God for a little bit. We talked about my sister for a little bit. We talked about dad for a little bit. I shot his gun yesterday for the first time in three years. But We talked about God. I went into our apartment complex. We have to renew our lease. I know y'all have been praying for us for Peg and I to find a home, uh, you know, but interest rates have skyrocketed. And, you know, there's not a house around in Rock Hill that we can actually afford right now. So we renewed our lease. So I go in there in the lease office to talking about re-signing up the lease. And I began talking about God about the work that he's doing at the church about the fact that I've been in this apartment complex now for six years and I have people that come up to me and ask me to pray for them. during the pandemic I had one that came to me and she said I can't go to church she said can you do communion for me and I did communion If I ever, if I go through the line at Walmart and stuff, I'm going to talk about Jesus. If there's somebody that's brave enough to stand behind me in that line, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I went to the driving range yesterday. I met a gentleman by the name of Bob. Bob shot his gun nine times after he he had to put his scope on and he had to readjust it. Shot number... Uh, You know, seven, eight, and nine was all in a little red circle about this big at about 50 yards away. My 48 shot from about 30 or 40 feet on a target about this big and about this high, 48 of the 60 or 70 of them hit it. (laughs) Woo! But I got to talk to, to Bob about God. What's in the whale well is going to come out. The fear of offending anybody should go away. Why should it go away? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> because see, the one that lives in me, right, is greater than the one that lives in this world. And he's going to shake things up and he's going to reveal all the evil. And he's going to come back and he's going to destroy Satan. Now, how do we know that? Well, let's look into this because remember Zerubbabel? Uh, you know, he's in he's been in all of the messages, all four messages now. He's governor, he's not the king. He's governor, but what does he have? He has this promise. And he has this promise that says that he's going to like, be like the signet ring Of God. Wow. How would you like that? Because, see, the signet ring of the king is the stamp that puts everything into order. I don't want this to happen. I'm going to put my stamp on it. And it's not going to happen. Right? He's going to be like that. Oh, yeah, but see, we can also go into history and we can look at history and we can find out that Zerubbabel was never king over Israel. Never made it there. But guess what? You go to Matthew chapter 1 and you see the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And who's there? Zerubbabel. He's right there in the line of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of throne. And he is ruling over everything as God's signet ring. Everything is underneath his authority. And if everything is underneath his authority, all these things of this world is underneath his authority, therefore he lives in me, so it's all underneath my authority. Did I go a little bit too far for you? Huh? Because we have to you know, he lives in us, therefore we have authority over Satan. Satan's the ruler of this world, right? We have authority over him. We can say, Satan, get behind me, and he has to get behind me, right? We can say, Satan, leave me alone, and he's got to leave me alone. Because of the signet ring. Jesus Christ is ruling from heaven right now. Not on Judgment Day, not after Judgment Day, He's ruling right now. We have that authority right now. Not later, right now. What's the possible consequences for standing up for your faith?' Just think about it. what are the possible consequences? If you stand up for your faith here on this earth, what's possibly going to happen to you? You might lose your best friend. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. Because see, there's only one that can destroy the body and the soul. And he's the one that we have to worry about. And who is he? Please don't say Satan because he's not. Jesus is the only one that can do it. If we reject him, then he can take our body, life, and soul because he is life. And he's the redeemer. And he holds everything together. He's the only one we have to worry about. So the possible consequences to us sharing our faith is all worldly. It's all about what am I going to miss? What am I going to have to give up? What am I going to lose? And Jesus says, Yeah, but what, what are you going to gain? Because if you stand for me here on this earth, I will stand before my Father in heaven and talk about you. Right. Pastor John's paraphrase. But you, you see, if we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, He's going to confess us to His Father. But if we deny Him here on this earth, He's going to deny deny us before His Father in heaven. This one last thing. I'm going to close with this. Andrew, put up that last slide for us. Right now, Jesus is on the throne. Believe it or not, His kingdom is growing and nothing can stop it. Just have a couple of announcements for you. We have community groups tonight, Uh, Marcus and Renee.